Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane, and it's good to talk with my buddy, Sean Martin. Sean, how you doing? I'm great, man. Good to be back. Another edition of the show. Uh, good to be here as we get closer to the NFL Draft. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the NFL Draft, it's upcoming. And this week, we have the NFL Combine to look forward to, and we're going to talk a little bit about the periphery of the event. Of course, if you want the best coverage of the NFL draft on the Blog and the Boys podcast network, you can take a listen to Talk in the Draft with Connor Livesay, Livesay and Mark Schofield that debuts on Wednesdays. Of course, you can find the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and at blogintheboys.com. You can find me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane. And Sean, where can they find you on Twitter? At Sean Martin NFL, where we can talk draft or any other Cowboys topic on your mind or any non-Cowboys topic as well. What non-Cowboys topics would you invite people to talk to you about? Uh, I don't know if uh, I'm inviting, but uh, you know, you never know where the mentions are going to go, right? We, we go with the foil. I know Cowboys Twitter turn it to a what about pizza? I I invite people to talk to me about pizza. In Arkansas? Yeah. Is it is, it, is that even like a thing there? I mean I drove food part of Arkansas to get to move to Texas and like, you know, I don't know. I mean I wasn't really keeping an eye out for a pizza place, but like I, I don't know. I can't definitely can't recall passing one. We have one here in the Fort Smith area called Pizza Parlor and I I would like to put that up against anything out east just to see what northeasterners say about it i have found one place so far here in texas that lives up to my impossibly high pizza standards and the good news is right near where i live so it's also the closest one easiest one for me to get to and it's called brooklyn pie co uh so it has you know a new york suburb in the name so i don't know if the owners are from new york or what the story is there but they do a great job i also there's a beer brand called Pine House that is really popular. And not only does Pine House make this uh, small batch craft beer that everybody goes for here in Austin, but they're a pizza place as well. So putting those two things together, they do a pretty good job. Yeah, and one of the problems I, I found when I was living in Dallas-Fort Worth was the pizza. It's like all of the most of the pizza places got their ingredients and how to cook the pies and everything from the same sort of formula and there didn't seem to be a lot of uh, distinction between the you know the different pizzas that's what i found is that what you're finding down there are you a thin crust or a thicker crust guy or what are your criteria here i i enjoy both but i noticed that they would predominantly use thick crust yeah. And all of them just kind of tasted the same. I like thin crust. I mean, I have to have some thin crust, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's some great places uh, back home for just known for thin crust. And, you know, you could put down a whole pie almost. But uh, here, I guess they plated a whole – everything's bigger in Texas pit because I mentioned that Brooklyn Pie Co. place. And their slices are, like, ginormous. I ordered that the hard way when I ordered, I think, like, three slices the first time I went there. And it was probably the size of, like, six or seven normal slices, so I had some good leftovers on that. But, uh, so yeah, those are some giant thicker, thicker crust slices. But, no, no, I still pretty good for Texas. Um, one other place, if, I mean, if we can just plug places in Texas, uh, that I found in Dallas-Fort Worth that was pretty good was Boss's Pizza. Uh, they were a little more unique. But that's what I'm saying, though, Sean, is the pizza parlor – 
pizzas are thin crust. You have a lot of sauce, and that's what I'm saying. I would I I would like someone from the Northeast to have some and just let me know how it is. And maybe if I can coordinate with you, um, we can meet in Dallas-Fort Worth halfway. I'll bring some, and you can try it. Let me know. Hey, that sounds good. You know, there's a term in scouting as we get back on track here. Uh, you know, they, we, we use the term ice cream sometimes when it comes to, you know, talking about a player that you don't see eye to eye on with whether it's the overall consensus or however you view that player. Uh, you know, maybe, but maybe we should be replacing the term ice cream with pizza because uh, how versatile, uh, you know, people think of it when it comes to a lot of people from a lot of people in Texas currently being from the Northeast and having that to compare to. And then a lot of people that have never been to the Northeast and don't know what they're missing out on when it comes to pizza. Right. And maybe we could popularize that along with me getting people to say Happy New Year at 3 p.m. at the start of the New Year. This is the third straight show you've brought that up. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But, um, yeah, so from whether you want to call it ice cream, whether you want to call it pizza, whether you want to call it unicorns, there's going to be those types of of prospects at the NFL Combine this week in Indianapolis. And I just have to know, how much stock are you putting in the Combine this week? So this is always an interesting subject. You know, there's so many great resources to follow for the NFL draft. We, of course, hope that everybody out there listening is making, you know, our homepage, bloggingtheboys.com, one of them, because we have some great draft content that's going to continue to be rolling out. But depending on who you follow for this thing, you know, you hear about different aspects of the combine. They get weighed more than, than others. And the prevailing thought is always, although a boring one, the prevailing thought is always, oh, the medicals are the most important thing. You know, to put it, it doesn't make TV, which the whole idea of the combine being a TV event, you know, rubs some people the wrong way. Anyway, but the medicals are important. Checking out, uh, you know, getting these guys a clean bill of health. And all that. So that's, of course, a big deal this year. But, you know, I think the prevailing theme, if you look at this class from top to bottom, is that there's not a lot of separation right now in these rankings at almost any position group for, you know, players one through almost 50 in some cases. So, yeah, these teams, you know, you better believe they're going to be looking for almost any possible way to uh, start getting data points that will help them separate these prospects on their board and figure out, you know, exactly where they'd be comfortable taking some of these guys. And the Cowboys have been known these past couple of years as one of the better drafting teams. So they need to do the same thing and have this combine be a, you know, a stepping stone to knowing where they're going to be comfortable taking some of these guys. Cause they have a lot of roster needs. We've talked about them. We're going to continue to talk about them and you can't address every need in the first round. So they're going to have to pass on somebody and then go rely on another guy that they probably test here in Indianapolis to uh, to step in and play some snaps in the second and third round because they didn't really get that in you know, last year's class. Yeah, and and really the combine, you know, it's about information and what kind of information the Cowboys are going to get on these draft prospects because whether it's from a health standpoint or a personal standpoint that's where they can get some of this information. And it's also a chance for the Cowboys to get a hold of some of the underclassmen because not all of the underclassmen went down to the Senior Bowl in Mobile or were at any one of the other All-Star games. So this will be uh, Will McClay, the scouts, the coach's chance to get a hold of some of these underclassmen. Uh, because I think that people that were at the Senior Bowl, um, they, you know, or were at All-Star Games, the seniors, so to speak, they have an idea of what they're dealing with. But in terms of the underclassmen, this is their first chance to, to kind of see them. And that's where we'll see Dallas start to really make good use of finding some of those mid to late round gems. Yeah, and you mentioned this being just another data point in gathering information. And, you know, as Cowboys fans, I think the exciting thing is that we still don't have a lot of information on exactly how, you know, this team is going to draft under Mike McCarthy. He's only been here for two drafts, and they've 
kind of gone some different directions uh, between what they did in the 2020 class and then, of course, last year, um, you know, starting at the top with Parsons and then working away through a draft where it's a lot of question marks beyond that and just how much weight that'll carry into now their third draft. You know, I feel like we ended up with a pretty good idea by the time Jason Garrett uh, was at the end of his tenure here of how the team was going to draft under him and how they valued the combine and how they really put a lot of thought into the interview process and, you know, the right kind of guy and all that. We understand, you know, their mentality there, but I don't know if we have a full picture yet of just exactly how, you know, Mike McCarthy wants to use the combine or how Dan Quinn, who's had a lot of say in the very first draft he was a part of here, how he wants to use it to go find those types of players that fit his system and the athletic profile that he's looking for on defense and all those types of things. So that's why uh, going into this combine, especially in a class where everything is so competitive right now, is going to be super important for Dallas. Yeah, and this may be the first real draft process that Mike McCarthy, that's been normal for the Cowboys under Mike McCarthy, because in 20, you had the combine. And by the way, for people that remember, uh, someone's phone went off and, and in the middle of Mike McCarthy's press conference at the combine, and it said, Mike McCarthy, Dallas Cowboys coach. And that was funny. Um, but then uh, the coronavirus hit. And then no pro days. So then in 2021, you had the combine, but not really to the extent. So then pro days were really the big deal. And then uh, so now it looks like maybe Dallas will have a normal uh, draft process under Mike McCarthy. So that's why it's really important to figure out what, uh, what information is helpful and what's not in what's superfluous because now you're really getting a whole lot of info when it comes to these guys. And the Cowboys probably aren't the only team that this applies to right now. It just happens to, of course, be the team we follow the closest and are keeping the tightest eye on. But, you know, it just seems like we haven't had this much. And you, you look at these mock drafts from some people in the know or even not so much those plugged into the you know, inner workings of the draft, but just those that are trying to you know study the tape and look at the team needs and do this thing that way. I have a lot of respect for that as well. So you look at all these mock drafts, and it sure seems like we haven't had the disparity of the Cowboys going so many different directions this late in the process in a long time. Now, it's gone the other way where they've been linked to one position these last couple of years, and then they still haven't drafted that position, and they just went best player and it really worked out in that first round, of course, of CDIM and Parsons and all that. But, you know, it just sort of seems like there's a wide net being cast right now in terms of how many different directions this team can go. And no matter where you go at 24, that position is probably going to also still have a lot of talent there in the second round. So you have to be careful about, you know, making sure you got the right guy that fits all of you, checks all your boxes, can walk on water, as you like to say sometimes, and, and did everything at the combine that you were expecting him to do. I, I would tune in if they televised the prospects trying to walk on water. I would watch that. Yeah, I think I would too. <laughs> I well, how much stock are, are you putting in the personal – yeah, in the personal workouts? I mean, how much stock are you putting into it? So to me, and you know, not to parrot you know, what you hear elsewhere, but to me, you know, I've grown as a draft analyst in the way that I've done things, and you do that by – relying on people who you trust at it and who have the, you know, the data to back it up. And everybody says that the combine, at least, you know, again, everybody that I've worked with has said that the combine on field testing is really about just confirming what you see on the tape. So what you want to do is have go into the combine with your preconceived you know, idea of what this player is on tape. What did, what, what did you see him do? What are his strengths or weaknesses? and then see if the profile matches that. If not, you know, there's reasons to go back to the tape then, like, oh, this cornerback looked really fluid in coverage, um, you know, against maybe a lesser competition or something like that. But then his numbers said that he wasn't a, as athletic, so do I need to go back and take a closer look at, and things like that. So it's about comparing it to the tape. It's about understanding, you know, what, what these numbers mean when it comes to these athletic profiles and things like that. Like I said, we all think the Cowboys are still 
in the process of building what those numbers mean to them under a relatively new coaching staff. But, you know, certain things aren't going to change in terms of what they're looking for. And for those reasons, some prospects are going to stay exactly where they are on the board. Some are going to fall down. And, you know, you could even have a guy come completely off the board based on what he does this week. Yeah, I think the stock I put into them, the workouts, is how do they respond to pressure? Because this is kind of a big deal and they've been – training for this and they want to put a good product forward and so forth and just present the best version of themselves and so you have that type of pressure and you want to see how they respond to it and then if they don't how how do they respond to that in terms of flubbing it you want to see how they how they handle that but I think the scouts I think Will McClay they they're smart enough to know that if a guy tests well and that, you know, he put he has a great time or does the most reps or whatever, that you still have to balance it with the tape and not just the highlights, but the lowlights, the whole tape. So I don't think that anybody is going to get snookered by somebody having a good time at the combine. But nonetheless you do want to see how they respond to that pressure of putting forward the best version of themselves. Yeah. You know, I kind of hinted at, you know, a minute ago saying that the Cowboys under Jason Garrett used to really value that part of the combine when it comes to the whiteboard sessions and the face-to-face interviews and things like that. And, you know, I don't want to get people's hopes up too much in terms of like, well, well, maybe they certain that's why, you know, they went with McCarthy because it was time for change. And so that's why that better be the first thing he changes because they need to draft a lot better. Well, you know, I don't necessarily think that's true. And I think that's what you're kind of alerting to because, you know, I do think there's enough structure in place of this organization where they still do value that quite a bit. And that is going to be a big part of it in addition to the testing, in addition to the medicals. And it's all just, again, this is these are million-dollar job interviews that these prospects are going through for months at a time. So, any NFL teams could leave no stone unturned, and especially in the Dallas Cowboys. For sure. And I think Will McClay has proven that he will get you the talent, and it's uh, your fault as a coach if you can't make it work. All right, so what about the Combine being in Indianapolis? What You think they should have a movable Combine, kind of like how we have a movable draft these days? I know Jerry would be uh, all for that. You know, I promise he hasn't sponsored this segment. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, I think the combine is a good thing in terms of not messing with it and moving it around. You know, I've never been to Indianapolis for any combine-related or unrelated reasons, but everything I hear each year about those that get to attend, you know, it seems like a pretty perfect uh, backdrop to just get this thing done and, really have it go off without a hit. You know, the field is turf, of course, so that's a big deal. It's right across the street from uh, the hospital where they do all the medical testing on these players. You hear crazy stories about St. Elmo Steakhouse and the players and media and coaches and everything meeting up there. So, you know, a movable combine would certainly get, uh, you know, a lot of owners excited and things like that. And you can imagine a one-take log for AT&T Stadium or the star in Frisco to a to host one, but to me, you know, it's been such a good thing in Indianapolis. And again, it's just a data, it's all about collecting data. It's a data point thing. And why mess with the ability to just get that data as cleanly as possible when it comes to trying to find the next wave of NFL talent? Yeah, because it's not just finding the next wave of NFL talent, it's dealing with the current wave of talent because this is also the, the great courtship of agents ahead of free agency and so I think that you mess with that dynamic too because these agents and the owners and uh, the general managers they have places that they want to meet as well that they're comfortable with to talk business so you would be messing with that aspect in terms of the in terms of you know you could go to the star, for example. You got everything there. You've even got the medical. I mean, it's all there. Mm-hmm. You you could have the combine at the star, but 
I don't know that you could have the free agent courting and talking to the agents and all of that stuff. I don't know if it would be as efficient as it is in Indianapolis because, like I said, these guys have all got their places scouted out and everything where they do business. Um, so that's the only downside to it is you would d- disrupt that dynamic, and that may be why it never leaves Indianapolis ever because – Indianapolis is also in the central part of the country, and Dallas would be too. Um, but in it's it's got everything, and I don't think that they would want to mess with that. I don't think that as much as there was a West Coast Super Bowl, and and now there's going to be the draft in Vegas and so forth. I don't know that they would ever have a West Coast NFL Combine because everybody would be going over there to the West Coast. So I think they'll always have it in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in Indianapolis, in the central part of the country. We're doing a Capital One commercial here? It, yeah. Why not? I mean, let's say them all. I mean, we, we give shout-outs to pizza places all across the central time zone. I mean, may as well. And, and you, know, you make a good point, though. Hey, don't think, uh, you know, like you mentioned, these trade talks go down at the combine. They absolutely do. And, you know, don't think with, a, you know, another NFC East team did make the playoffs this year. The Eagles were a playoff team. I get it. It was the, you know, kind of sacrificial last seed. They had to go lose another playoff game to Tom Brady. But don't think that Jerry's not sitting around knowing damn well the Eagles have three picks before you even come on the clock right now and potentially getting a little bit restless. You know, they, I think even if he, if that is the case, you know, McClay and, his staff around him is going to tell him that this isn't necessarily a, the type of draft class where you need to go up and get a guy. It's more of a deaf draft and a team-building type of draft, and they could probably stay home and see how the board falls to him at 24. But nonetheless, uh, you know, the ingredients are there for the Cowboys to potentially be a mover in this thing. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And speaking of movers and shakers, what about some combine record breakers from a a Cowboys perspective? Uh, We went back and looked at the NFL combine records for the Cowboys, thanks to Stathead, who should always get a shout-out in the embed for everything. Uh, but thanks to Stathead, we went back and looked at the at the Cowboys' combine records since the year 2000, and Sean and I will share them with you. Um, let me. So we'll start with a 40-yard dash, and Sean, who had the highest 40-yard dash, for the Cowboys since 2000. Orlando Skandrick, uh, I know it was, it was one of those. And a, a quasi Awusu Ansa. What, what year was he drafted? He was drafted in 2010. I think he was the 20, he was the second rounder. So you get Des Bryant round one, you get a quasi Awusu Ansa in round two. Man, that's, that just goes to sell like how easily we forget about things. I do remember the Des Bryant draft, but that name, the, the quasi uh, name escapes me there. So, 
but Skandrick, you know, as a cornerback, and then Anthony Brown makes this list as well, and he's still hanging on. Of course, as a veteran, uh, about to hit free agency, though, at the same position. Yeah, I'm sorry. He was a fourth round pick. I I totally botched that. Okay. But um, here's how fast Skandrick and Aquazi Wosuansa were. In 08, Skandrick runs a four three two. Aquazi Wosuansa in 2010 runs a four three two. And then you mentioned Anthony Brown. What did he run in 2016? The Purdue product. So he was a 4-3-3, and I was at the home game against the Giants this year where he had the pick six, and he showed off some of that speed of the ball in his hands. You know, it doesn't happen too often uh, where he's able to jump routes and, you know, make those types of plays. His rookie year, he really showed a lot of promise to maybe be that type of player. He was always running stride for stride, it seems, with opposing receivers, and, you know, some of those things kind of broke down. But, yeah, when he came into the league, he had legitimate 4-3-3 speed. Yeah, he did. And by the way, these, the records we're mentioning are picks that the Cowboys made. So we're not going to include uh, someone, you know, a veteran free agent, for example. Uh, These are guys that the Cowboys drafted. So, uh, for example, you know, Amari Cooper's not going to make the list. These are just guys that were drafted by the Cowboys. And, Sean, who had the highest vertical for the Cowboys since 2000 at the Combine? Well, for anybody listening at home, I think this is probably the easiest one to guess if you're playing along. This would be uh, current Miami Dolphin, but former Cowboys first-round pick Byron Jones. That's right. In 2015, he had a 44.5 vertical. So he really showed off. And it wasn't the record for at the NFL Combine. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Jones has one of those. But the um, vertical was Josh Imatorbebebe, who had a 46.5 in 2021 out of Illinois. That was, so that was last year. But uh, Byron Jones still has the Cowboys record at 44.5. And it took the Cowboys some time once they drafted Jones, of course, to kind of figure out how to best use his athleticism. Is he a corner? Is he a safety? You could even probably say, you know, they wasted some of his some of his years on his rookie contract that way by not knowing, you know, his best fit. But they eventually found out that they had a lockdown corner in the uh, in the very athletic uh, prospect out of UConn there. And the, Terrence Newman and Pat Watkins, in, so 03 and 06, they had 41-inch verticals. And th- that's they were tied for the second um, for the Cowboys since 2000. By the way, the name Terrence Newman, you're going to see throughout the rest of these timing uh, components of the Combine. So just don't forget that name, Terrence Newman. I was stunned by that, you know, how often his name came up on this, you know, a little inside baseball for great hidden yardage listeners here. But, you know, I asked you before we came on the show if I was going to get to see these records before – uh, you know, just a list that you compile before we recorded or if you just wanted to get my initial reactions to them. And I'm like, yeah, I'm cool if I don't want. We do a lot of reacting to stuff, and it would have been fine. You know, you would have gotten some good reactions to me. I would have just bring it up, Terrence Newman. If anyone's going to be able to back me up on this, it's probably you with your knowledge of quotes that have uh, happened surrounding the Cowboys. But I think it was Mike Zimmer at one point not too long ago that said uh, he could find a cover two cornerback anywhere and that, you know, it doesn't have to be prioritized the way that maybe the Cowboys once did with Terrence Newman. But that said, you know, he has the athletic profile to kind of debunk the fact that someone like him could be found anywhere because he came onto the scene with these athletic testing numbers and had a very, very long and successful NFL career for both the Cowboys and then with Zimmer uh, with the Vikings. Yeah, there's a reason he was a first-round pick. Onto the bench press, Anthony Spencer from the 06 class and Jacob Rogers, who was a tackle in the 05 class, they both benched 30, and they're tied for the top spot for the Cowboys. And then you wouldn't believe it, but so where does that put, you know, the Great Wall of Dallas? Zach Martin and Tyron Smith 
And a guy named Sam Young, who was from the 2010 class, I think he was a seventh rounder, was they benched 29. So that's the second highest uh, reps uh, bench press at the combine for the Cowboys. So a lot of scouts will tell you they don't really value the bench press a whole lot unless, you know, a really outlying number comes up and somebody really underperforms or just somebody goes crazy and, you know, puts up a heroic uh, effort and then you go back on his tape and you see that play strength translate to the field. But there's a reason the Cowboys are being linked to so many early round offensive line prospects this year. And it's because you still do have guys like Zach Martin and Tyron Smith to build around. And, you know, you don't have those guys – as an all-pro level because they bench pressed, you have them, you know, they're at an all-pro level because they're all-pro players that also checked off this box when it comes to their strength and their bench press. But nonetheless, you know, you have uh, a potential Hall of Fame right guard and left tackle for uh, for Dallas to look at and look back on as some of the best performers when it comes to the bench press in Indianapolis. And then you have Sam Young to just remind you that doesn't always mean everything. Um, broad jump, again, same guys as the vertical. Byron Jones with 147, and that's your combine record. Uh, Ter- Aaron Newman again, 136, and Pat Watkins, 133. Yeah, just an unreal athlete, Byron Jones. Uh, you know, UConn is, of course, not known for producing, you know, top end football talent and top end athletics there. So, he definitely surprised and kind of broke the mold and rose up draft boards pretty dramatically with what he did there with the combine. You know, there was even talk. He started getting linked to the Cowboys not long after that, but there was talk that, you know, maybe his hype could even go beyond getting drafted before the Cowboys would have a chance at him. And, you know, fortunately for them, that didn't happen. And they got a great player there for the duration of his rookie contract. So Byron Jones, you know, absolutely jumping out of the building there at Lucas Oil Stadium and, I'll continue to be amazed by the fact that Terrence Newman almost did the same, uh, 147 for 147 for Jones and 136 for Newman. So a very impressive number for Newman, but it also puts into context, you know, just how far and how great of an athlete Byron Jones was. Right, and we're not done with Terrence Newman yet. By the way, Pat Watkins, so he has 41-inch vertical, 133 broad jump. He was 6'5". They put him at safety. Uh, he was drafted in 06, I think, out of the fifth round from Florida State. They wanted him to be a safety, and he just he he couldn't do it. He didn't manifest at safety, and so then that's how you get Ken Hamlin in the 2007 off season and then the contract for him and all of that. But Pat Watkins, that's what they were looking for. Was he had all those measurables, and he's six five. Just didn't. And we're still talking about this team needing a safety soon. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's just the way it is. Um, three cone, Terrence Mitchell, uh, the Cowboy draft pick from 2016, who just never seemed to be a Cowboy, 6.57. Danny Cole, who was uh, a receiver in the 2012 class, 6.69. And then Xavier Woods, uh, 6.72 in the three cone so to me the three cone is one of the easiest drills to translate to being able to go back to the tape and to see what makes sense when it comes to you take the top athletes in the three cone and you should immediately be able to say yeah i can see exactly why he tested so well in this drill by the way they also play on tape and all three of these guys are in that in that realm you know terrence mitchell the quick twitch ability the you know uh, loose hips and in, in coverage, ability to mirror and match, all of those things are evident on his tape, and it showed in the free cone. Xavier Woods, you know, we saw some of those flashes from him at safety, and he was a draft crush of a lot of Cowboys fans. And they were able to land, um, you know, at a high value pick there. So, you know, I could watch free cone drills all day because I really do think it's the easiest thing to translate to uh, what you also see on the field and to match that up with the tape. Yep, thin crust pizza and three cone drills. All right, so the shuttle. Is that Justin Barryall, he was a <laughs> yeah, he was a safety from the 04 draft class, and it was a shame because he <laughs> ran. He had a 3.8 shuttle, and he had a career-ending injury in training camp, and that was it. 
because he was going to be the solution at safety for Dallas, and then um, that happened. And then here we go, uh, Terrence Newman, 3.83 in the shuttle, and then B.W. Webb, 3.84 in the shuttle. Yeah, I'm sure plenty of Cowboys fans have forgotten about B.W. Webb, and probably not the case, though, with Terrence Newman, but um, I'm sure there's someone out there like me who was equally surprised at just how well Newman tested, because I did not remember you know, necessarily uh, seeing as great of an athlete as these numbers would suggest. And that's another thing, you know, like we talked about, where when you do have a scenario like that, teams will go back to the tape. But in this case, Newman was drafted for a scheme-specific fit, and that's why you saw, you know, what the Cowboys saw in him to to make him to make him the pick and to be able to run a three eight three in that shuttle and have that uh, have that short burst of speed is something that, of course, every NFL team is is going to be in the market for. Yes, and I, when I think of the NFL Combine and the Dallas Cowboys, Sean, I'm always reminded of the fact that they hired Chan Gailey, the fourth coach in team history, after meeting with him at the NFL Combine in 1998. First of all, can you imagine any NFL team doing that today? figuring out who their coach is after the combine. No, I think the combine has, you know, taken on so much more importance in terms of the amount of data that these teams get. You know, they're well these teams are a well oiled machine when they get down there in terms of who's going, who's doing what every single day. These guys are going to be interviewing players, the scouts are of course watching the drills, the interviews, the medicals, getting all the checks and then like I said, wheeling and dealing with the inner workings of the agents and the trades and everything that goes on. It's just such a, you know, high pressure type of situation where, you know, organizationally, if you're not sound with, you know, who's going to be running the thing as a head coach and, hey, the Cowboys almost, you know, talked their way into, a, you know, the offseason creates all kinds of headlines. They almost talked their way into being in a similar situation with McCarthy having to go on the Rich Eisen show and talk about his relationship with Jerry, but at least they can make no mistakes about you know, going to this combine with a plan in place that McCarthy will have approved and all that, and he's going to address the media there as well. So we'll be able to have some thoughts on that. Yeah, it's yeah. That's what I'm saying is, just think of how somewhat dysfunctional this combine is going to be because of just how weird the Cowboys offseason has been to this point. And like you said, McCarthy's comments on the Rich Eisen show, and then. Like I said, it's not even the most dysfunctional combine that they've had because they had one in 98 where they were literally meeting with coaching candidates, Chan Gailey. They met with him. They had a two-hour get-to-know-you session at the combine. Can you, like, that just sounds so bizarre. Well, as a scout, as a scout, in a weird way, I'm sure you would love that because you know if I'm in that situation, I'm asking. You know, you could then ask in the interview in a way that you don't get to usually in a head coach interview, just because of when they happen in the at the beginning of the off season. I would then be asking like, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on some of these prospects? And then I'd be comparing it to where our board is currently at with you know, with the scouts when the board is at. It's kind of purest form, if you will. You know, the scouts are just, you know, they don't know who the head coach is, so they're not being influenced by scheme or anything like that. They're just grading players and throwing them up there on the board. Hey, this guy can play anywhere. This guy can do this. Here's the purest form of where we think all these players can be. And then you bring in a head coach, have them take a look at the board and say, you know, well, what do you, here's what we're working with so far. What would you do to this if we do hire you? And if you have a head coach candidate that wants to flip the whole thing upside down and, Either you need a new scouting staff or a new head coach, and you, know, you can ask. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure maybe they did. You can ask Chan Gailey about, you know, his thoughts on what he's seeing from some of these prospects, and try to gain some information on your potential coaches that way. You're, right. you know, I didn't think about that. How much of a scout's paradise it would be to just go in and take a look at these prospects and not have to worry about the coach's input whatsoever yeah try to come flip it upside down <laughs> yeah and um i think someone who would be good to ask about that would be brian Broadus. and it's funny 98 because i think that's the draft that the eagles brought him in in 98 to run 
and he did such a good job with it. But it'd be it's just interesting. Hey, Brian, um, what would it be like to go to the combine with no coaching staff as a scout or director of player personnel? What, how much of being a kid in a candy store would that be? You know. Well, um, hey, and then he uh, he worked on those early two thousands Cowboys teams, of course, where I'm sure all those scouts are just wishing the coaches would get out of the way at certain times because there was just all you know definitely a shortage of talent on this all throughout this roster that these coaches weren't able to really do a whole lot with. Yeah, and they were so talent deficient because of the salary cap and all that. Again, and I think this is largely forged Stephen Jones' um, mindset is they were so salary cap strapped in the early 2000s that they couldn't even – that they had to limit their practice squad size. He didn't even have enough cap space for a full practice squad. So it was uh, – those late 90s, early 2000s Cowboys, they, you know, you talk about managing the decline. That's basically what uh, what Chan Gailey's successor, Dave Campo, did. But before we wrap up this thread, my favorite, my favorite quote about Chan Gailey from Jerry Jones in the L.A. Times – Back on August 27, 1998, he said about Chan Gailey, quote, I thought I had a good one in Chan. I was wrong. He was better than I could have ever imagined, unquote. And I'll read that in a Jerry accent. And I, I thought I had a good one in Chan. Uh, I was wrong. Uh, he's better than I could ever imagine. And he would say something like that. I mean, he's probably said that about McCarthy to this point. Yeah, only Jerry can follow up I was wrong with taking it the other way in terms of, you know, not admitting that he was actually wrong, but, you know, kind of spinning it, you know, back in his own positive light that way. So, you know, we know uh, we the Jerry we know was still alive and well uh, at that point and with the accent and everything, you could definitely just picture him saying exactly that. Yeah, and just taking a look back and looking at all of humanity and just – the universe in its entirety he does a great job as a salesman and getting people excited about stuff you cannot fault him for that about his ability to sell ice you know to the people on the reality show up in alaska on the discovery channel yeah absolutely i mean that's a deeper topic i think but you know you have to be able to sell hope and you know there's even an argument to be made for you know, is it better off to kind of be almost where this Cowboys team is right now, a perpetual, you know, oh, we'll be a fringe playoff team. I know you, you went in on this topic last week, you know, as, as far as looking at it in the opposite direction. But, you know, we'll be a fringe playoff team and you'll think we have a chance every year, but we're not quite good enough. We're not going to quite, you know, make those steps, you know, like the Rams did. I know that's going to be the topic again all offseason until we beat, that, beat a dead horse with it. But, you know, we're not going to make those all-in types of moves because we need to just stay kind of even keel and, you know, sell you that every single year. It might be to you, but it's not quite, you know, a team that's going to get there. And is that more marketable than, you know, that one team that can get there and then going right back down to, uh, you know, we just mentioned the early 2000s. I don't think anybody wants to live that again. So that's an interesting topic to, uh, to ponder and put some thought into when it comes to just exactly where, this Cowboys team wants to go, but, you know, I think Mike McCarthy, as we talked about, takes every chance he gets to tell us he's built a Super Bowl team before, his back's against the wall, they know what the cap crunch is in the current situation, and they know what the cap situation is going to be down the road. So, you know, now is definitely the time to uh, to adjust those thoughts and go find some players in this combine. They hope they can put you over the edge because it's not a overwhelmingly talented draft in terms of, you know, guaranteeing you're going to get a superstar in any one spot, but you better be able to go find some starters uh, in this thing. Yes, and someone who found a lot of starters in the 1975 draft was Gil Brandt. Oh, yeah. Yes, and that he helped Dallas acquire the Dirty Dozen. And with that said, let's get to some Cowboys birthdays to finish this off. For this week, on Tuesday, Thomas Hollywood Henderson turns 15, 69 years old. 
He was born in Austin, Texas, down where you're at, Sean, and he's he was a very impactful player. He was probably the first Lawrence Taylor, and that's and some people say why LT wore number 56 because of Thomas Hollywood Henderson, and Henderson is famous for saying that Terry Bradshaw is so dumb he couldn't spell cat if you spotted him, the C and the T. <laughs> well, hey, uh, you know, Bradshaw, you know, made up for it, uh, any mental deficiencies in the game with, uh, you know, a great athletic career there <laughs> nonetheless. But, uh, yeah, definitely a nice uh, set out there for chalk one up for Austin, Texas, and, you know, the amount of uh, football history that goes into a place here in Texas that has changed so much, but yet it's still uh, – you know, obviously the capital of the Cowboys' home state. Yeah, you could roll through a town in East Texas with a blinking red light stop sign four-way, and that little town of 200 people has a lot of football history. I mean, it's, it's crazy. But, um, yeah, Thomas Hollywood Henderson. And then on Wednesday, uh, Ross Tucker he turns 43 years old. He played for the Cowboys. He was a guard in 2002. So everybody on Twitter, I want you to ha- to tag Ross Tucker and hashtag Hidden Yardage and wish him a happy birthday. Yes, please do. Uh, he's a great guy. I met Ross uh, when I was in Dallas for the 2018 draft. And one of my favorite things he does during the regular season is games that he goes to as a media member as well. He posts on his Instagram and probably his Twitter as well the pregame food spread that the stadiums have, and he kind of gives a little draft grade on them. And you know, Philadelphia, you get the cheesesteaks and Baltimore crab cakes and all that. So he grades the the spread as only a former offensive lineman could do. And getting to meet him was pretty cool. Uh, he was generous to my friend and I, and gave us a couple minutes every day to uh, to talk some draft, which I'll always appreciate. Yes, and another universe um there's a mark lane who um you know does stuff and he had a british guy that did a podcast for him and and ross tucker he was gracious enough to go on that podcast i mean he so that's what i'm saying behind the scenes ross tucker is a really really good guy on thursday herschel walker he turns 60 years old. I wonder if he still thinks he can play in the NFL. Of course, Herschel played with Dallas from 86 to 89, and then again from 96 to 97. But it is the Herschel-Walker trade in 89 that he will always be remembered for, and that trade being the foundation for the draft capital the Cowboys had to win three Super Bowls over a four-year span from 92 to 95. Yeah, there aren't many trades that, you know, every NFL fan almost unanimously knows in terms of you could just mention it and, you know, 99% of NFL trades, you'd be like, oh, yeah, like I kind of remember that happening. But, you know, why are you bringing it up? Why is it relevant? But this is, of course, the most extreme outlier there probably is because all you have to say is uh, anything about this trade and Cowboys fans know that it's what set off, uh, you know, a dynasty and being so as successful as they were. And even non-Cowboys fans understand how it changed the NFL probably for, for the better. Oh, yeah, because the, no one's ever going to do a Herschel Walker trade ever again because no one's ever going to fall for it ever again. On Friday, Michael Gallup turns 26 years old, and uh, whether or not you're going to throw the switch to save him or Cedric Wilson, that's your <laughs> choice this offseason. Yeah, so will he see 27 in the Cowboys uniform? is going to be a big question to, to, uh, to be determined soon. Uh, also on Friday, uh, one of the inaugural members of the Ring of Honor, because he was, I believe, inducted the same day as Don. No, 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 he's not inaugural. Bob Lilly was. Never mind. But nonetheless, Don Perkins, fullback for the Cowboys from 61 to 68, and he turns 84 years old on Friday. Don Perkins. Yeah, congr- uh, happy birthday to him and. You know, the, again, the theme for this week's birthday seems to be, you know, really going back in the Cowboys history and appreciating that. So there's another part, uh, part of it. 
Uh, also on Friday, just a personal one, Caesar Rayford. He was a defensive end for the Cowboys in 2013, but he was someone who, with Jordan Ross, when he was covering the Cowboys and stuff, and when I was getting into it back in 2013, he was gracious enough to give us time, give us quotes, and really build our confidence. And so when, you, again, it, it's kind of like the Ross Tucker thing. When you're nice like that to the little people, and you help them build confidence. It's just, it's such a tremendous gift. And I'll always thank Caesar Rayford for that. Okay, now on Saturday, on Saturday, it's Michael Irvin. He turns 56 years old, the playmaker, the Hall of Famer, turns 56 years old on Saturday. And of course, still has plenty of energy, still a staple of. NFL media, you catch them on NFL Network and radio interviews on 105 Freedom Fan in Dallas. So Mike Orvin's still very much a, a face that Cowboys fans recognize and a face around the NFL for being on television and still, you know, everybody associating everything about him with the Cowboys and his thoughts on both what uh, on both good and bad things happening with this team. He's always been very open and honest about those types of things. So Mike Orvin, the playmaker, uh, a piece of Cowboys history. Yeah, and he definitely, uh, they need 31 more of him. Every team needs a Michael Irvin in the media, I think. It it would make the NFL punditry way more entertaining. But be sure to wish Michael Irvin a happy birthday on Twitter and hashtag hidden yardage when you do it. And then on Sunday, Andre Gerard, the pro bowler, who played with Dallas from 02 to 2010, he turns 44 years old, and he is still up there in the locker room at AT&T Stadium in the Cowboys locker room. So he will always be remembered by the Cowboys as part of the millennial Cowboys that helped resurrect the expectations for the franchise. Yeah, definition of a plug-and-play type of lineman. You know, teams expect just a long careers. Uh, when they draft an offensive lineman, it's like doing routine maintenance on your engine with your car to keep things running. Not every team puts as much thought into offensive line as the next, and the Cowboys have gone for their patches where they didn't and paid the price for it. And then, of course, they've gone through you know some extreme patches recently where they really built up the league's best offensive line and didn't have a whole lot to show for it, unfortunately, and they're trying to get back to that point right now. But Garode was a, you know, never an issue, really, in terms of what he brought as a starter there. Yeah, and you always knew what he was going to bring. And those are your Cowboys birthdays, Sean. Hey, buddy, it's been a good podcast. Where can people find you? Sean Martin NFL on Twitter, the front page of bloggingtheboys.com, and, of course, right here on this podcast. And you can find us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. The Hidden Yardage Podcast. Check our workout at bloggingtheboys.com. Also check out our the other Blogging the Boys Monday show, First and Ten with Dave Sturcio, Tony Catalina, and Aiden Davis. And then tomorrow, you don't want to miss the BTB Roundtable. That is at 7 p.m. Central Time on YouTube and at bloggingtheboys.com. Hey, Sean. It was good doing this podcast with you, buddy. Absolutely. Hey, I'll meet you at San Elmo's, all right? All right, for sure. So there it is.